truth is, I am Iron Man. Lieutenant Dan! Inconceivable! I got a bad feeling about this. Welcome to the Flicks and Clicks podcast. Uh, my name is Micah. And my name is Brock. Today we are going to be talking about uh, Christopher Nolan classic from many years ago, 20 years ago, Holy Memento. Cow. Yeah. 20 years. It's 2020. Can you believe it? Crazy. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Nolan's brother. Just the talk- short story originally, wasn't it? Exactly. He, I think he just talked with him like on a long drive or something and said, here's my idea. And then his brother, Jonathan, went to write the short story and Christopher Nolan went to write the screenplay. I don't know if there's any bad blood about that, but <laughs> I wonder if yeah. there was a little bit of rivalry of who can tell it better or if there sure. was any, I don't know. I know that in the... Um, credits of Memento, it says, based on the short story by Jonathan Nolan. A lot of the movies that Christopher Nolan directs say written by Jonathan and Christopher Nolan. So you know it's written by both of them, which is very cool. Brothers who work together. That's a sweet thing. Wow. Okay. We are going to be talking Memento. And I just up front, this movie is definitely rated R. Um, it's got lots of swearing, uh, some violence that's realistic and pivotal to the story and that kind of thing. Um, also some, I don't know, uncomfortable scenes. Yeah. It's not egregious at any point. It's not trying to be gross. It's definitely our in the frame of reality of this is how these people would have talked. Sure. So it's definitely good to know that going in, but yeah, it's not, it's not Quentin Tarantino, you know, 300 F words, kind of a, you know, sketchy. Well, I mean, it's, I like yeah, some of those it's movies on, too, but it's on the PG 13 side of R I would say. Yeah. There's a lot of the F words, but anyway, uh, if, if you are, if you haven't watched this viewer discretion advised for sure, um, it's definitely rated R for a reason, um, but I highly recommend it for the different storytelling yeah, that this movie has that I don't know that any other movie has. It has a lot of innovative ideas to offer. And definitely. It's a good experience. Definitely true. Wow. Good, good stuff. Uh, so with me today is Brock. He's our co-host today. Uh, this is the first movie review on Flicks and Clicks. If you've been tuning in for the last couple episodes, we, uh, we being uh, me and my buddy Tyler, we talked video games. So now we're going to do movies. And uh, something that's probably a little bit more near and dear to my heart is, is movies and movie watching rather than video games and game playing. Uh, but I like both. So <laughs> this is the movie side right here. This is the Flicks side of Flicks and Clicks little bit about Brock. Uh, Brock was one of my groomsmen at my wedding, which was rocking. <laughs> and he made me a nasty grilled cheese at my, <laughs> at my uh, bachelor party. Which he ate. Which I ate most of. Uh, he called it the... Weak at the knees, help me please, 
diseased grilled cheese. <laughs> That's the one. And I'm pretty sure he came up with it right before he served it to I me. I had a backpack full of random ingredients. <laughs> and Don't you have a backpack that's a fridge? Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> Legendary. Shout out to Hydroflask, maybe a sponsor. Not a sponsor yet. <laughs> Hydroflask, if you're listening. Uh, yeah, so that's Brock. He's also a... So, well, he's a great dude to have at your wedding, to have at your bachelor party. Great friend. But he's also a very, very good graphic designer. So uh, if you've noticed and thought, wow, that Flicks and Clicks podcast um, uh, picture, what do you thumbnail. call it? The thumbnail. The Flicks and Clicks <laughs> thumbnail is so terrible. It's Brock's fault. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> no, honestly, we, uh, I, we, I say we like it's some collective. It's just me. I'm the only person behind the, there's no production team. It's just me. I really have enjoyed Brock's work, um, and I've sent Thanks. it to a few other friends that have jumped on the podcast with me, Tyler in particular, and we both were like, wow, this is awesome. So I'm super happy to have Brock on the podcast. He will probably be around a little bit more often uh, to do more Christopher Nolan things because he's we, a... We have a little bit of a history of we getting do. together and watching Christopher Nolan films. That is very true. So when Tenet comes out, be looking on the podcast for that one because I'm pretty sure Brock and I will review that. Uh, but without further ado, we will re- review a 20-year-old movie, Memento. So uh, we're going to try to go as long as we can without spoilers. Yes. It's going to be kind of hard. Um, the entire movie in itself is a mystery that's constantly r- revealing its own answers. Well, for a movie that starts at the end, somehow it's still a mystery. Yeah. So the first spoiler is this movie starts <laughs> at the end. Wow. If you really, In spoilers already, five minutes. If no, you really want to experience this movie in its fullest form, go watch it before listening to this podcast. There's, yep. yep. We'll try not to spoil too much, at least in the initial conversations here. Um, but part of its part of its light is the fact that you get to discover it as it unfolds and every movie is like that but this one in particular has a very different way of revealing information to you and every piece of information you see in this film is hypercritical to what is going on in the story because you have no idea what's going on in this story when it begins definitely true definitely true i well so some initial thoughts. Uh, this stars Guy Pierce, Carrie Ann Moss, and Joe Pantoliano. I hope that's um, that's how you say his last name. So Guy Pierce, I haven't seen him in a lot, um, but if you like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, something you'll recognize. You know, if you're maybe you're driving right now and you can't look up who Guy Pierce is, he's the bad guy in Iron Man Three. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah, I love Iron Man three. I, don't I know. Know, why, yeah. know why I didn't recognize that. So this is uh, several years before that movie, uh, and he's not nearly as jacked as in <laughs> Iron Man three. Still jacked, but not out of his mind like he is in Iron Man three. Anyway, uh, Carrie Ann Moss, who is Trinity from The Matrix as well, uh, has a different role for sure in this one than yeah. in The Matrix. And then Joe Pantoliano. What else has he been in? He's one of those guys that's in lots of different things just as that same guy. He's actually also in The Matrix. Yeah, okay. 
uh, as one of the guys in that cipher in the matrix. He's yeah. And he's been in a lot of different, he's definitely one of those, uh, supporting actor roles that he sometimes can go, I don't know, maybe un maybe, maybe a little bit forgettable, but you'd never ever remember him for being bad. <laughs> <laughs> so I, he's, he's good. He does a great job in this movie. That's for sure. Um, yeah. So that's our cast. Guy Pierce does really, really well. His monologues are really good. Um, some of the movie, maybe like one third of the runtime of the movie is maybe more like one, one half or more of the runtime of the movie is Guy Pierce narrating his thoughts. Yeah. Some people that, are, that feels off to them to hear narration, to hear inner thoughts or characters talking to themselves. But if you think about the genre of this, technically it's classified as noir um, that's a pretty common thing to happen in in noir films yep. is to have that inner dialogue yep. be heard by the audience. And it establishes it right off the bat that you're just going to know this guy's inner dialogue mm-hmm. and that that's just going to be crucial to the story. It's sort of like Ferris Bueller's Day Off when he immediately starts breaking the fourth wall and talking to the <laughs> camera. Yeah. He just establishes for the audience, this is the way this movie is going to go. Yep. And... Some people might have that as a complaint of why is there so much narration, but it's very integral. And with how little you know in this movie and how little the character knows in this movie, it's, it's necessary. Yep. So initial thoughts, what do you think as far as, I don't know, movie, would you recommend it? Would you watch it a lot? What do you think, Brock? Initial thoughts. I know that, so I, okay, a little bit of backstory. I've seen this movie probably seven or eight times. I own this movie. I've seen it probably for the last, I think the first time I watched it was when I was in like a senior in high school with my older brother. So probably eight years ago, seven years ago. Yeah. First time I've seen it. This is my first watch. I've only seen it once so far. I definitely rewound a couple moments because I missed (laughs) them, (laughs) but, um, I can already tell that this film is very different first watch versus rewatching it. Initial thoughts. The whole thing's a roller coaster. Characters change roles. The narrative reshapes itself every scene with the new information you get. You feel completely lost at points. And so those moments where you solve something or you learn the information that you've been waiting for are just so satisfying. And it's definitely a lot of fun. It's frustrating at points and it's not a movie you can watch while doing a puzzle or doing, it is a puzzle in itself and it takes a lot of attention, but that's part of the excitement of it. It, It's a mystery that you have to solve in order to enjoy it all. And there's this infuriating draw about that of, frustration of what you want to know and the satisfaction of finally figuring it out. Yeah. The whole movie has so many different things you have to piece together. It's not like one of those movies that strings you along and then has some big twist at the end, although it does have a twist at the end. Uh, but it's, it's one of those that's just the, even just the way that it's uh, displayed to you is completely different, but also the same. 
as other movies because it'll give you, you know, it'll give you a scene. In a normal movie, you'll have a scene and then it'll cut to a different, you know, maybe a different group and then it'll go back to the same one where that other scene was and there'll be something at the end of the scene before you jump to the other group that is now at the beginning to remind you, oh yeah, we're back at this point. Yeah, so you've got a regular timeline. Exactly. it's all pointing the same direction. And every now and then you need to bend time a little bit or you need a flashback. That's how the standard movie works. Exactly. But Memento, and this is a little bit of a spoiler, doesn't work like that. And it took me a while. Like, honestly, I was maybe a fourth of the way through the movie before I realized what was happening. But... It's like a movie folded in half. It's like you take the end of the story and you flop it back on top of the first half. If you have a pen and paper, just draw a little <laughs> line that does a hairpin turn and goes right back this to the beginning. This isn't Inception though, where there's a wormhole. No, we're not we're not <laughs> we're not doing that. That that's interstellar. No. Incept yeah, I meant interstellar. <laughs> um but the point of this movie is he's trying to put you in the character's shoes in a way that nobody has attempted to before. So this this character is unique because he has severe memory loss in the short term. So in order to put you in his shoes, you can't have any of the information that the main character doesn't have. And that's really disorienting. But it's given to you retroactively by telling the story backwards, which is extremely different from the way we're usually accustomed to experiencing stories. There's, there's a, a difference between like a subjectivity and an objectivity in this movie. Most movies are objective. Things happen, you accept them, and you move on. And then maybe there's a twist that's like, oh, you thought you saw this? Well, I actually saw this. This movie is subjective most of the time. And then when you realize the objective parts of the movie, you realize the subjective. I know this is confusing. The subjective part is the part that Guy Pierce is you, the things that his name's Lenny in the movie. The things that Lenny goes through in the movie are very subjective because it's all from his point of view. There's no, you know, he's in a car chase and then the camera pans to this thing that he has no idea about. There's nothing like that. It's all what he sees, what he's doing. All of that is the subjective part. And then there's an objective storyline that's happening at the same time on the folded paper yeah. and the <laughs> other end. Uh, yeah. And it's, okay. it's not impossible to follow. No. You've got scenes that are in black and white. You've got cues that tell you where things are connected. It's really well pieced together. And I think it may actually, for a lot of people, take two watches, two viewings to put yeah. the whole thing together. But it's it's definitely well thought out. You see, like, like the black and white, that's another homage to the, the noir theme. Is Yeah, half the movie's in black and white, by the way. That half of it is happening in almost a flashback timeline. Right. Which goes along with the fact that it's black and white. And you have the ability to follow the fact that it's backwards because 
the information that he gives builds on itself. Right. And it's a small amount of information that you can retain if you're an amnesiac. He He's not an amnesiac. He always clarifies that. He says, I have a condition, and he, he describes it. It's just short-term memory that he can't reform. Yep. But it, it sets it up so that you can piece it together, mm-hmm. but it definitely doesn't make it easy for you. Definitely just like true. it's not easy for him. Yep. So you have to you have to live his life and you have to learn the hard way, the way that he has to learn. Absolutely. Uh I think so rewatchability. You've only watched it once. You touched on it, but yeah. Rewatchability. Definitely. Okay. So initial thoughts for me. Uh, well, we're going to go initial thoughts, you know, after my like seventh or eighth viewing. Um, I would say that this is one of those movies you could easily watch four five or six times within like a six or seven year span. Maybe we'll only watch it like once a year or even less than that. And every time you're like, wait, what was the twist again? And you're trying to figure it out. This time I watched it with my buddy, Sam and him and I, we had already seen it already. And I was just, I was like, wait, what was this again? And what was that? And he was like, I think it's, well, maybe it's, we were just trying to piece things together. We'd already, we've already watched the movie and we remember one of the biggest twists in the movie, but we don't remember other things. And there's other things that are, you know, left up to the viewer to decide. Yeah. And there's a lot of subjectivity. So this movie is, it's masterful to say the least. It's, uh, but you know, I, I watched this video uh, of Christopher Nolan like explaining it. Brock watched the same video. It's like 15 minutes long. And the way he explains it is just so simple. He's like, yeah, basically you just did this. We just did that and that. And uh, we needed a cool beginning. And uh, I thought the beginning was giving too much away. And then this happened. And then, yeah. So basically the just story <laughs> it just ends here. And it, we're just like, how did you come up with that though? Yeah. Like, where did that come That's from? That's not the way most people construct no, a story. <laughs> absolutely not. It's completely different. So the storytelling is incredible. The acting is incredible. There's no, you know, like there's no character that you're like, wow, I wish that person wasn't on screen as much. Everything makes sense. You know, every scene is important. Um, <clears throat> the pacing is not, you can't measure the pacing next to another movie because of how it's shot. It's just so different. Um, I will say that the continuity of the movie is imp- impeccable. Like they're one of the ways that the main character Lenny remembers things. Cause he has short term memories us, is he'll take Polaroid pictures of things and then write like a name on it, like who it or is or like he event. takes a picture of his car and writes my car and that kind of thing. So that he knows what's what, so that every time he wakes up with short-term memory loss and remembers who he is, he's like, where am I? And then he looks down at his pictures. He's like, okay, here's who I'm meeting. Here's where I'm staying. Here's my car, that kind of thing. The handwriting on the back is always the same. And you, there's several scenes where you watch him write it. So you know that they shot the scenes that are shown to you earlier. They, they cut and put in later because you watch him write it and it's exactly the same handwriting. Yeah. It's exactly the same place. The continuity in this movie is perfect. I don't think there's anything like yeah. continuity wise. It's all perfect. Cause every it's, time you ask a question, like how did that window get broken or when did he write that? Or how do we know who that person is? It gets answered. And because this movie is one of those where 
it, it, there's a lot of close-ups and things things that you normally wouldn't notice in other movies, you notice in this movie because it's shot so differently. It pulls you in to it this. demands so much of your attention. It really does. And and Nolan knows that, and that's why he put all of those little things in it. Well, I don't know if that's why, but I suspect that that's why he put so many little things in there like that that are just so, you know, oh, well, they're, they're going to be watching that, so we have to we have to shoot. It's almost like he knew everything that was going to happen and how they were going to cut it before day one of filming. And what's the runtime? It's less than two hours. It's like an hour and 53, I think. So there's no fluff scenes. There's no throwaway scenes in here to fill time. This gets done what it needs to get done. And everything you see on screen is pretty vital to what the heck is going on. Definitely. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. So, uh, would I recommend it? I, you know, if you are, if you are not a huge fan of, of swear words, I may skip it. But if you are okay with, you know, enduring those to go for, you know, really, really, really masterful filmmaking, that's like something you've never seen before. Yeah. Um, and you know, and you're okay with, you know, tragedy, then I would say watch it for sure. If you're a fan of any other Christopher Nolan movie, you know, Batman one, two or three or inception or interstellar Dunkirk, any of those, if you like any of those, you you'll like this. Yeah. And I'm definitely a late on the boat, Christopher Nolan fan. So having not seen memento until now, it's, it's very much the type of film that Christopher Nolan wants to make. There's always something that pushes the envelope in his later films. And maybe if he didn't have so much studio pressure to do certain things, he would go completely off the rails. Cause this was the first movie he got a big budget to do. Yeah. So I think he's going to revisit some of the craziness of this film with Tenet just because of how mysterious the trailer is for Tenet and how just shrouded in mystery that is. He really has a handle on how much he's going to reveal and how he he doesn't leave the storytelling up to chance. He's very intentional about what he shows and sometimes he's even more intentional about what he refuses to show the sure. audience in order to make the story stronger. He, he really sticks with the subjective objective points of view and he doesn't, you know, even I watched, we watched the interview that I talked about for fi- the 15 minute long interview. The guy who's interviewing him is like, did you ever think that the, you know, audience wouldn't know what was going on? And he's like, not really. <laughs> basically <laughs> was like, no, I mean, you know, it's, it's difficult, but you can piece together. He basically was like, if you can't piece it together, you know. I mean, give bummer. it another watch. If, if right. you watch yeah. this and and you didn't get it, watch it again. Yeah, it's watch it again. It's out of order, and it's full of intention. It's not. It's not a mishmash. It's it's like a perfectly measured zipper, in a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I. Okay, I think we're to this point now. Uh, so if you haven't seen it, stop this podcast right now. Go watch it, and then you can listen to the rest. We're in spoiler territory. Uh, we really didn't give away a whole lot. 
Um, we'd very, we talked pretty ominously, I feel like, about yeah, a lot of things. Which is very difficult with this one. Yes, definitely true. So, so much of the experience is in actually experiencing it for yourself. It's, it's not a movie where you can listen to someone's podcast about it and then have the same effect. <laughs> it's so much true. about your personal process of just unpuzzling it all. So... One definitely thought, recommend that you would watch it before you let someone spoil it for you. Definitely true. Uh, so spoilers, here we are. Spoilers right now. Uh, the initial sequence of the movie is backwards. It's in color and it's backwards. You just see this Polaroid of a dead guy. Dead guy. You just see a Polaroid of a dead guy and it, he's shaking it backwards. And the more he shakes it, it turns the less it develops right the less it develops and then you see him catch a gun from throwing it down and all this stuff so the first scene is completely backwards like they just shot it and then just threw it in the movie backwards and that's it and uh it's what is there a narration or is it just i think it's just ominous music at the top yeah they they do it's like a pre-scene and then I'm pretty sure they go into the noir narration. Yeah. In the black and white. So we mentioned that there's black and white and there's color. So remember the paper bending. Uh, the color sequences are going backwards. So after the first scene, everything that you see... Everything that's in color. Yeah. Everything that you see isn't backwards like the first scene. That's it's not just, played backwards. Right. It's not played backwards, but it is backwards because the next scene that you see that's in color is what happened right before he took a picture of the dead guy. It's as if you went to the scene selection menu and you watched every scene in reverse order. Right. So if this happened at 2.35 p.m., then you saw the scene that happened from 2.35 to 2.40, and then a different scene happens, and then you go back to... 2.30 and watch the 2.30 to 2.35 p.m. that scene. Which it still blows my mind that you can know so little about what the heck is going on when you just watched the end of the film. Yeah. And, yeah. and how the first 10 scenes in reverse order that you watch, it's just mind-blowing how much you don't know. Yeah. It's so frustrating that you can know how it ends because you don't have any context for those situations, you don't know what that means. You don't know the meaning of those actions because you don't know who those people are. You don't know how you got there. You don't know who you should trust. You don't know basically any of the basic expositional traits of a movie that it would have given you at the beginning. You get a little bit of that through the narration, enough to be able to set your feet down in this world. But besides that, you're not given anything to interpret the final scenes of this movie. Something that people are used to is, is you see uh, some movies will show you the end. This happens a lot more in shows. Now you see, you know, it'll be like this really epic or breaking bad does this a lot where it'll, it'll show you this really weird ominous shot. And then it'll take three episodes to explain what, how you get there. This isn't like that. <laughs> so if you're thinking oh is this like that no not really so it shows you the very first scene is the end 
of the movie chronologically. It's the very last thing that happens in the things that you see in a chronological sense, but it's the first thing that you see. So, yeah. So at this point, if you're still, you still haven't watched the movie and just please stop and go watch it. Yeah. But yeah, assuming that you know that you've watched the movie and that your mind wasn't so completely melted that you didn't realize that that's the structure of this film. Like, let's talk a little bit about what is accomplished by doing something as nuts as that. Yes. So basically the, I don't know if you'd call it the third act is the first half of the movie. Yeah. Because the, the thing that happens at the, you know, the height of the second act is the middle of the movie, <laughs> which you see last. So it's really the end of the movie. So there is a, you probably, you know, at this point you've seen the movie, but this is basically, I don't, I can't even really explain it. There's a black and white sequence that's happening from the very beginning that you see in order. It's running in forward, right. like a standard movie would. Exactly. And there's a the end of the movie that you see, you know, cut. There's a black and white scene that happened at the beginning, and then there's the end of the movie scene. Then there's a black and white scene. Then there's what happened five minutes before that end of the so movie scene. So they connect, scene, yeah. And they connect. So they basically, you watch the end, and you watch the beginning, and they intersect in the middle in this really epic scene where it turns from black and white to color without you really realizing it. Wow. So good. Um, yeah. So the way that this movie was shot is incredible. There's, even though you see the end of the movie, there's still so many different twists and things. The, the All of the black and white portions of the movie, well, most of them are Lenny, the main character, just talking on the phone, talking on the phone about his condition, talking on the phone about this guy named Sammy Jenkins who has the same condition, whose case that he worked on, and this kind of all this kind of stuff. And talking about his wife and the accident and his wife's killer yep. and what he's going to do to avenge his wife. Yeah. So his wife was raped and murdered. Horrible. Uh, it doesn't show a lot, but it doesn't show nothing um, as far as that scene goes. It's just... A it's, bunch it's of broken subjective. flashbacks. Yeah, it's subjective. So it's it's everything that that Lenny saw when it happened, basically. Um, so not to mention, are there two storylines? There's one storyline happening in two different ways. There's also flashbacks, two different kinds of flashbacks that happened. All all of it happened before the scenes that you see. So there's four different timelines that you have to keep track of, um, and they're very very nicely organized for you it's confusing but they're organized half of them are black and white and half of them are color so it's like okay we're back to the black and white we're going in order oh shoot we're back to the color now we get to see what happened before what happened in the other color sequence that we saw before (laughs) it's you could talk in circles forever um yeah but it's definitely a structure that's worth appreciating that someone was so ambitious to try to tell a movie in that way and that it came off as a success, that it didn't come off as a bunch of nonsense. It's it's worth some applause that, that he was able to make it even a little bit cohesive because mm-hmm. it's completely breaking the standard conventions for how you show a film. Definitely. Uh, most of the scenes are with Lenny and most of the uh, in color scenes are uh, Lenny and um, a, you know, 
quote-unquote friend of his named Teddy, who Lenny has a picture of, and then the back of the picture says, don't believe his lies. So it says Teddy, his phone number, and then on the back it says, don't believe his lies. So Teddy, Teddy is always telling him these things throughout the whole movie, and the whole, the whole time you're thinking, don't trust this guy. And plus, we saw him murdered at the end of the film. Right. So, at the beginning of the film, you mean. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's yeah. the first thing you see the first is thing you see Teddy being shot. By Lenny. So for a long time, you have every reason to believe that Teddy is not somebody you should trust. Right. And he doesn't give you very much reason to trust him either. Yeah, he's kind of persnickety, and even though Lenny has this condition where he forgets things every hour, hour and ten minutes, or even less, and forgets everything except for the last thing he remembers, which is, you know, years before when his wife had the accident. Um, So, anyway, his wife had the accident, he tried to attack the killers, and hit his head really bad on the bathroom floor. That's where the lights went out, and from then on in his life, he's had you know, these, this condition where he can't. So anyway, he's got this condition the whole time. And so Teddy is, Teddy's is, very pushy. He, he is. He constantly he's disagrees and he's pussy. He's pushy. He's, he's, uh, persnickety. He makes a bunch of jokes and Lenny's like, like, dude, like basically the whole time, like, dude, that doesn't help. Like, you know, I have this condition. Obviously, you know, I have a pic, I have your picture, you know? Yeah. Teddy's very much not a likable character. Agreed. Which uh, Joe Pantoliano does very well at being that character. He's really good at that. He does. He did this. Ve- he did that very, very well in this movie. Um, yeah. So, and that happens with most of the major characters. You have a lot of points in the film where you need to make new decisions about what you think about them, which is really, it's really challenging to have so much that you're asked to doubt and it's so long before i was willing to doubt the reliability of the narrator the reliability of the main character because you're put so much in his shoes that you're forced so much to empathize with him that you you only know so much so you don't want to doubt what he knows you don't want to doubt the facts that he's worked so hard to write down and that's part of the emotional attachment that you build with Lenny over the film. Yeah. Uh, Lenny has, you know, the, the whole Lenny writing things down and having tattoos all over his body because it's permanent. So every time he finds a fact about the person who murdered his wife um, after the accident, he, he tattoos it on his body so that he can basically it's it's vengeance yeah and if he finds a fact about reality then he tattoos that on his body as well because he needs to structure himself in a way that he can wake up and he can have a purpose and that he can have some kind of reality to exist in and so it's it's a painstaking process for him every day to wake up and learn what reality is and then try to move forward from there. So he's a very smart guy. So he's had this short-term memory thing for a while. It's, you know, if you had amnesia, this isn't amnesia, but if you had amnesia, what was the first, was the, you know, you're alone. What do you do? You look in the mirror and you're like, who, who is this person? Right? So every time he looks in the mirror, he sees all these tattoos all over his body. And he's, and he basically, he's like, okay, this is what I'm doing. He knows who he is, but he, he, and he remembers his wife and the accident and that's it. And so he's like, okay, what am I doing? 
the the thing that he relives every time he wakes up is the feeling that he knows his wife has just been raped and killed. And that's the first thing he remembers every time he wakes up. (laughs) That's, whoa. So he has it tattooed. It's, it says John G raped and murdered your wife or murdered my wife basically yeah. it's tattooed so that he can read it off his body in the mirror. It's like tattooed backwards yeah. so he can read it in his body off the, uh, off of his body through the mirror. Yeah. And I think it's really clever. The remember Sammy Jenkins on his hand mm-hmm. because he doesn't remember that he has a condition, right? So when he wakes up, he looks at his hand and he sees Sammy Jenkins, who is someone who has that condition. And because he's conditioned himself to remember what that means for himself, he uses all these cues to build a reality for himself. So he rebuilds this reality every time he wakes up. He, he wakes up, he thinks he's got that vengeance, that, that hurt. And he, he looks down at his hands. Maybe he's washing his hands. He goes, remember Sammy Jenkins. And he's like, why are these tattoos all over? Oh, I must have the same condition. Here's where I'm at. You know, find him, kill him. His license plate number is this. He's male. He's white, you know. And I love those jump cuts in the story where the context is withheld and you have to figure it out with him. You have to figure out where he is, why he's there, how he got there. Just like he does, you have to exactly. ask all those same questions. Like when he has the bottle in his hand, you're he's he said, "I don't feel like I'm drunk." Yeah, he's yeah, I don't feel like I don't. Feel and drunk. he doesn't remember how he ended up in a bathroom with a bottle of alcohol, which it reveals to you in the next sequence how he arrives there, right? And that he wasn't drunk. It was just a weapon. Because yeah. someone was after him and he was ready to hit him with a bottle. But you don't get that context because he right. doesn't get that context. Because you don't, yeah. Because, and because you don't get that context because of the way the movie's shot, because you don't know what happened before that scene, like we'd said earlier. And so, you know, we are, like you said, Brock, we are almost reliving all of that with him, which is, <laughs> that's the subjective part of it. Remember earlier I talked about subjective versus objective. The, the black and white sequences are the objective. It just shows you what happens. It's from his point of view, but it shows you what happens. It just tells you there's a lot of back, uh, uh, back flashbacks. That's not back flashes. <laughs> back flash. <laughs> there's a lot of flashbacks in those sequences. Those are objective, um, but the subjective parts are the in color parts that are being played backwards, um, scene by scene, because those you just we don't know what happened before that, and we're just taking it all in just like just like Lenny is there's this one scene he's running from a guy but he thinks he's chasing him because he has this he, he has a lapse anything. in memory yep. at during the chase and he's like okay I'm running okay why am I running and he goes he looks over to the oh, left I'm chasing this oh I'm guy. chasing this guy and then that guy turns towards him with a gun he goes oh no he's chasing me <laughs> so it's like you really doesn't and you know. don't know either as yeah. a viewer you're dropped into the middle of this chase scene as well and you don't learn until later how it got there so yeah. you have to live it one moment at a time just the same way that he does it's like a really powerful vehicle for empathy so really if you played this whole movie from beginning to end I chronologically if done that if anyone's oh, edited maybe. it but I don't know if you've done that it you know, it, it would be, it, you know, it would be tragic. It takes away the whole. But the there's there's this edge of your seat personality of this movie that it 
is just heightened so much from the jump cuts and the you're watching it backwards and yeah. it's crazy it's crazy good what do you think of he has a quote where he says my actions matter even if i can't remember them mm. what was your reaction to that because it's not something we think about all the time sure it's something that he's forced to think about yeah i i wow say it one more time my i he says i have to believe that my actions matter even if i can't remember them basically i mean that's how he copes right i mean that's how because no one wants to be purposeless he's basically his subjective world the world that he lives in which he you know reminds himself of with his tattoos and his polaroids every time he wakes up he has to have some kind of purpose when he wakes up and that's what you know my actions they mean something uh, you know even though i can't remember there's other people all over the place that remember everything that have memories that work just fine and even you know and even he's thinking you know the memory of my wife i have to avenge i have to seek justice well i mean he definitely takes justice into his own hands but yeah I mean, what do you think about it yeah i I think it's something that everybody wants is a purpose. Yeah. Something to do with themselves that matters. And part of that is selfish. And part of that is I want to personally have weight in this world. But there's something unselfish about the way he, even though he's not a completely white horse character, he's definitely got a lot of gray to him. There's something very unselfish about doing good even though he won't experience it. Yeah. Or that it will be completely wiped from his memory. Like he says, my wife deserves justice um, even if he can't remember it. Right. So there's something challenging about that to think of. If I don't get to experience the, what do you call it? If I don't get to experience the payoff sure. of my actions, why would I do them? So it's yeah. it makes you root like, for him the point? all the more that he's yeah. willing to try to be do this the right disciplined thing. and to keep following this goal. To try to do do the right thing for reality yeah. when his reality is changing all the time. When he's never ever really going to understand that, you know if he you know does this thing then it will pay off for the reality because that reality doesn't apply to his brain he can't yeah. it doesn't make sense to him so he's he's he cares about the reality that he doesn't even have access to right he's got this heroic side of him yeah it's it's a complex character yeah. and man. then it, it gets even <laughs> more complex as you go on because oh, you yeah. realize oh yeah when once you realize that he's not as reliable as you thought, it starts to get frustratingly frustratingly I don't know what's the word. There's there's uh, one of the main things of the movie is that he doesn't show emotion very much and because of that, obviously our actions are affected by emotions. Well, he the main his main emotion is vengeance at the very beginning and and hurt that his wife 
you know, at the very beginning of every memory cycle that he has, those are his emotions. And he doesn't let those emotions, you know, negatively affect the way that he treats other people necessarily. There's this one thing that he does out of emotion that throws the whole thing off. He writes down, we're heavily, heavily into spoilers right now. Yes. <laughs> heavily. Um, wow. He, so basically, he's so, he's so disciplined about finding out what the facts are and only going off those because his view is so subjective. He's subject to everything that's happening to him. And so if he doesn't have a few pillars of reality... Anybody can play him. Anybody can use him. And they do. Oh, yeah. So yep. he has to have these pillars. But these pillars are based in himself. And he knows how subjective he is. So what he does at the end or beginning or whatever part or in of the, the middle, movie whatever, you want to yeah, call it, yep. is he changes one of the pillars of reality. Mm-hmm. And... In some ways, because you can, of because of emotion, and that that seems like why would he do that? But you can you can it makes sense. You can see why he would do yeah. that in that moment. Like he's been played, and he's not going to remember it. Uh, Teddy even says we all lie to ourselves to be happy sometimes. Yep, and it's it's very true. And in his extreme position, he makes one extreme lie that reframes reality completely for him and he forgets it yep after he his memory lapses again he doesn't know that he tricked himself and i'm pretty sure we're thinking about the same thing is when he writes don't believe his lies yes and and the license plate and that sequence of things exactly he writes down on the back of teddy's picture don't believe his lies because at that point in the movie which you see last but is really in the middle of the chronological storyline is because he finds out that you i mean you've seen the movie uh john pantalon pantoleon <laughs> john, john pantalones john pantaloons sorry john joe john his name is joe joe sorry joe <laughs> joe pantaloons character teddy <laughs> Basically, you find out that he's been playing Lenny this whole time, and he's been using him to kill people. Yeah, and it's not that that Teddy didn't deserve, right? Completely. I mean, who deserves that? But right, but he didn't. So he writes, "Don't believe his lies," because Teddy did lie to him. Yeah, Teddy has lied and has used Lenny, but is repeatedly. still, but is still very much helping Lenny have some sort of purpose. Yeah. Every time he wakes up, he's like, "Hey, Lenny," and he's like, "Obviously, I know you." And then he finds this, and he goes, "Oh yeah, his name is Teddy." And then he has this, you know, kind of disagreeable spat with Teddy about something. And then he'll look on the back of his card and he goes, "Oh, don't believe his lies." He's like, "Oh, see, I don't have to take yeah, anything." Which that fooled that guy me said for, throughout yeah. the yeah. course of the movie. I was definitely throwing him out as some sort of evil character, if not the evil character. And we just need to figure out what, how we arrived there. Yeah. I, I, I experienced it the exact same way that Lenny experiences it when he had to process that information for himself. Right. Yeah. Which, yeah. Teddy's storyline is basically he, Teddy's a cop. 
he's actually a cop. His name is actually uh, James, James or John. John Gamble. John yeah, Edward John Gamble, Gamble. Which, if you remember back, you, you've seen the movie. It says, John G. Uh, raped and murdered my wife. So and then he's says, a John G. It could be a, a John or a James. Right. That's one of the other facts. First name, John or James. Um, so John G, James G, something like that. Um, so anyway, you come to find out that Teddy, who he tells, he tells Leonard to write on, on the picture, Teddy, because his mom calls him Teddy, I guess it's just a nickname. Yeah. Right? So the whole well, time you think his name is Teddy. He can't have Lenny know that he's a John G. Right. Cause he is. Eventually he does find out because of the just, license plate. Yeah. And he's not, he's not the John G that, that. Uh, raped and, and killed yeah, his wife. Because the whole point of Teddy's plan is that they're going to go after people who fit the description and they're going to split the money. Right. And it's it's so, morally acceptable to Lenny because he doesn't remember it. And it's morally acceptable to Teddy because he's just decided that that's morally acceptable to him. And it's acceptable in Lenny's subjective point of view because that's all he has. That's all he's got is that subjective point of view. Whereas the objective reality is that, you know, months prior or maybe even years prior to this, Teddy used, you know, before Teddy even started using him, they were working together to try to find the person who actually raped his wife. Yeah. And they did and killed him. So And so maybe from Teddy's point of view, because they succeeded at that he might unjustly think that Lenny owes him sure, more. Sure. Because that didn't solve anything. Right. And what's Lenny going to be good for anyway? What's yeah, what's Lenny going to he's going to go, yeah, what's Lenny going to be good for? He's going to wake up every time and think that he didn't do it. Um so basically what Teddy does is he uses him to get money. He finds another guy named Jimmy who has a last name that starts with a G, so James, Jimmy G. So and he, Teddy probably feeds him the information right. that says maybe he, it's a Jimmy. Right. And he tricks he tricks him into killing this guy. This guy's into drugs. He's got $200,000 in the back of his car. And Teddy uh, basically tricks um, uh, Lenny into killing him. And then he's like, yeah, now we're going to split the money. <laughs> Which, so he's like, wait, so you just made me kill someone that had nothing to do with with my yeah. reality. And that Teddy had nothing comes to off do with my reality. A little bit I don't know, condescending, a little bit I don't know. Yeah, condescending is the word. That's he a good comes word off a little it, yeah. bit condescending. And it's not because he is acting badly or because he doesn't care about him, because he does care about him in a weird sure. way. But yeah. he just knows that he's gonna lapse and he's not going to remember this conversation. So he's not very tactful so, about the way he <laughs> argues with him. He wants to convince him, but he knows that he's going to get another try because he's going to forget it anyway. And, and really, he's just going to have to tell him the same story all over Teddy's again. Lenny's best friend. He's the, I mean, Lenny doesn't have any friends. He can't remember anybody. Teddy's his best friend. He's the only guy you know, around that yeah. helps, helps him with his purpose. And he says that all the time. He's like, I don't know why I put myself out there like yeah. this for you. I don't know why <laughs> yeah. I keep doing this for you. I, you keep right. telling me that story. It gets yep. better every time. Every time you tell that story, uh, Sammy Jenkins, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, it's, it's noble in its own way yeah. that he commits so much to this guy. He gets his own gain out of it. It's probably 
on a base level for his own gain because he keeps getting money out of the deal, but it's really risky. Yeah. And he does care about him in a strange way. And Christopher Nolan has this way of, of having these storylines in here that you see bits and pieces of that you know exactly what happened before without it. Like the, the Teddy thing. Teddy mentions it one time and you're like, that's why Teddy's working with him. And then, I mean, we don't see, we don't, we don't see Teddy putting it together where they're going to split $200,000 or anything like that. It's just something that we've put together because Christopher Nolan knows that we've put it together in yeah. a, you know, 30 second scene. He's assumed we put that together. the intelligence of the audience. That's one exactly. tool that good writers use is you assume that people can put it together if you give them all the pieces and right. all the pieces are there. And especially with someone like Christopher Nolan, he's got a track record with doing assuming a very uh, assu- high yes, intelligence. Be, well, because audience. he, you know, he's had movies that are successful. He knows, he knows people. He, he, he basically knows that when people go to watch his movies, they're not just going for funsies. <laughs> they're yeah. going because they want to try to be tricked. They want to try to figure out what's going on. And because he's built that. Well, yeah, but wasn't Memento like his second big movie? Yeah, well, the first one was following. I think he made that one mostly independently. Yeah, that was more of a. That wasn't really released, was it? It was like a. No. It was like a short. Yeah, it was. It like was weird, not near the level. The first one was Insomnia was on. with um, uh, Robin Williams. Have you seen Insomnia? No, I haven't. Okay, That's... well, I own that one too. We should watch that one too. Yes. Um, but that one also has a huge twist and is written weird. And I mean, but it's not not nearly as crazy as memento or i mean there's just these big logic barriers that most movies follow that christopher nolan just goes what what are you talking about that what's that i don't care about that i'm gonna tell the story however i want and he and you're gonna figure it out and you're probably not gonna figure it out until your third watch (laughs) he definitely has a lot of respect for the way movies have been made oh definitely he takes a maybe a bygone genre of noir. Sure. And he finds a context for it. And he says, we're going to do this in the noir theme. And it works really well. And he works with actors that know what the heck they're doing. Like in the Batman trilogy, he hands off the Joker character to Heath Ledger and lets him develop it. So he's, he knows when he needs to take his genius and apply it to something and be behind the camera and be, at the editor's table. Definitely. He'll do that. But there's also times he'll hand it off to somebody he he knows is capable. And that's part of the reason he's a great director is he's yeah. in control of what he needs to be. And then he lets talented people take the reins. And he uses a lot of the same actors in his movies. Tom Hardy's in several of his movies. Um, Michael Caine. Michael Caine's in a lot of his movies. Um, who else? What's that guy? Uh, that guy who plays the... Um, he plays like the distressed uh, pilot in Dunkirk, and he plays um, oh yeah uh, yeah Scarecrow in Cillian Murphy. Mm-hmm. Cillian Murphy. He uses Cillian Murphy in a lot of movies too. I think he's in like because he's in um, Inception, and he, yeah, so he uses that. He uses who else? Uh, Man, shoot, I just had his name. JGL. Uh, no, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Bat him too. Yes, but Batman's. Guy who Butler? plays Batman. Oh, Christian Bale. Yeah, duh. Oh, yeah, duh. He's Wait. he's in The Prestige as well. Yes, right. Yeah, so, yeah, he uses a lot of the same actors because he knows that they know what a Nolan movie is. And I was he like, knows Christopher Bale. Chris, <laughs> Chris, Christopher <no>. Jackman. <laughs> <laughs> Hugh Bale. No, that's not it. Um, yeah, so 
he works a lot very closely with the same. He's been working with Hans, Hans, Zimmer Hans Zimmer on several Zimmer, movies. Yeah, yeah exactly. I don't, you know, Hans Zimmer didn't do Memento. They probably have. Um, I don't think they had connected yet. But yeah, but but yeah, he uses a lot of the same people. You know, with almost kind of with the exception of Insomnia and Memento, those two are kind of they're. I mean, they're definitely one offs. They, yeah, he's. It's just crazy, man. He's he's very good at what he does. That's for sure. I really can't wait for another Nolan movie. Yeah. I'm excited to see some of the strengths of Memento show up in Tenet because yeah. I think it's definitely a, a platform where he's going to be able to bend our perception of reality. And Memento shows you that he can do that without completely leaving you out to dry. Yeah. But there's definitely, I'm expecting to be thoroughly confused for Tenet. <laughs> just, Which I'm totally fine with being confused. Yeah, I'm totally fine with that. Um, if you like your movies like handed to you in very neatly packaged, easy to process, y- y- that's not don't Nolan's watch these. style. Nope. But I mean, I like those too, but you know, too much of that is like, okay, I know it's going to happen. They're definitely not background films. Right. It it takes a lot of attention to get the full the full experience of a Nolan film, but that's that that's cool when you give your full attention to something and you're rewarded oh yeah for digging in and for asking those hard questions. Definitely. Cuz he's all about asking the hard questions of what can you trust and what in reality should you should you root yourself in? Right. And what happens if you're wrong? And what happens if you want to be wrong? Because it's uncomfortable. <laughs> I remember we were talking after we watched The Prestige and uh, your wife was like gone. Yeah. My wife she was laid like, on the what? floor for a good half hour yeah. and said, don't talk to me yet. I'm still processing. Yeah. <laughs> and Brock and I were talking about the backstory of Hugh Jackman's character and whether the backstory, whether that guy was living two realities or not. Yeah. And that's something that Noel never explains. He hints that it could happen, but he also doesn't really. It's just like one of those things. It's like, oh, there's a whole nother movie that could have happened there, but Nolan just threw you in. And Brock and I might not even agree about that. And that's <laughs> the coolest thing because those those things don't have that much weight in, you know, the prestige's plot, but they're just things that you think about. It's just things that like, man. They stay with you. They it's really a movie do. That- you can think about, you can talk about for a while afterward. It's yeah. not, oh, like that was cool and I'll move on. It it usually takes a little bit of a debrief, yep. a conversation or a podcast or um, some sort of reflection to actually take in what he was trying to accomplish with the film. Definitely. Definitely. Back to Memento. We kind of went down a uh, Nolan rabbit hole, which is totally fine because this is his <laughs> movie. But uh, we haven't even mentioned Natalie's character yet. Um, so, yeah, Brock mentioned how it would be really easy to take advantage of Lenny, and how it would be uh, really, you know, easy to use him. And Teddy definitely did that, um, even though he was also sort of his friend. Yeah. Um, but another character, Natalie, it's uh, Carrie Ann Moss's character. Um, she, she, you know, it se- it seems like. They're good friends. Yeah. She, she's helping him. And you can tell that from the beginning 
but and he's helping her you have a seed of doubt planted from the very beginning because his note about it says that she's only helping him out of pity right so you you have the idea of ill motives but you even have the wrong idea yeah about the ill motives completely wrong so one of the motifs in a noir film is sunglasses and shielding the eyes or having a mask of any kind is something that notes to the viewer this person is hiding something and the first time you see natalie she's wearing sunglasses and she's got a beat up lip she's got definitely an appearance that gives you just a little bit of interest in what's wrong with her what does she want there's something off here and you're reassured for quite a while in the film that she's on his side, that she's flawed, that she's in a rough situation, but she's going to be helpful. You're, you're reassured that for a while. Definitely. Yeah. And they even, uh, you know, I don't think really anything happens, but they share a bed together. Like it's, I don't, you know, I don't think anything happened. I don't want to talk about that, but, <laughs> but you know, she, she's also just kind of there for him because he doesn't have anybody. Yeah, and so physically, because you're so much in a state of empathy for Lenny, when someone helps him, you feel good. Yeah, you you feel helped because 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 we only know as much as Lenny does. Yeah, yeah, we don't know anything anything else because we only have his subjective reality, the perceived reality that he has in his memory, you know, damaged brain. Yeah, and it turns out that. Natalie might actually actually be one of the most evil characters in the film, if not the most. Once yeah. we discover why she was even involved with him, mm-hmm. we we definitely have a grounds for the way she betrays him because he did, even though he may or may not be responsible for it, he did kill her boyfriend. Definitely, but the way she uses him for her own purposes is one of the more egregious things done by any of the characters in the film. And she at points treats him worse than anyone has in the film. And she really goes from someone you really want to like, and you're almost, you're almost sure is good and just completely gets flipped over and, your your mind gets completely changed about her, which is something I don't know. Are you the kind of person who who likes to guess the twist before it happens, or are you the kind of person who wants to be surprised by the twist? It depends. Uh, it's some of both. Um, my, I don't know, just the way my brain works, I'm always trying to figure things out. Um, but I'm also really good at once I know then I'll try to forget so that I go through the same thing again. Okay. Okay. So like if, if I've seen a good movie and you haven't yet come watch it with me, cause I'm not yeah, going to spoil you, it for you. You never even try. You are no, always like, I'm always no, like we'll reacting it. like it's the first time Yeah. because I, it, a lot of the times it is cause I don't remember those things. Mm-hmm. I just remember, wow, great movie. <laughs> I'm definitely on the side of I want to experience the twist. Yeah. I, I want to be surprised. I'm always I'm trying not to figure things even out. Even going to watch the trailer if I'm super interested in the movie. Prestige, I I figured out half of before the end. 
because that one I was really trying to figure out what happened. Yeah. I knew there was a big twist and someone, I, it was like a challenge. Someone was like, you'll never guess. My wife is so infuriatingly good at guessing twists. We'll watch something <laughs> and she'll just make a comment like, he's actually the bad guy. Or like, I bet he dies in the next scene. And then later and, on, I knew it. And I like to think that I know the language of film pretty well. I like to think I know when there's a little bit of foreshadowing and that sort of thing. But she always gets it before me. And so I'll, I'll be impressed and I'll be like, wow, like I can't believe you got that. But I'll also be like, can you not make that comment yeah. next time? Make that comment in your head, please. <laughs> I yeah. wanted the experience. Oh, man. Having a wife is awesome, though. Yes. Yes. Wouldn't trade it. 10 out of 10. We have different it. wives, by the way. <laughs> Just, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, We've had some good movie nights. We have. We, um, we have a little bit of a tradition of coming up with a food theme. And then making just an absolute spread of a dinner. Definitely. And then then consuming a Christopher Nolan movie. Yeah. And my wife is is very, very good at uh, (laughs) consuming movies. She's very good at it. She, you know, there isn't, (laughs) there isn't a lot of movies that she won't watch. Um, You know, a lot of, a lot of ladies, even like my sister-in-law, my brother's sister won't watch Peril. She won't watch, um, you know, violence doesn't really bother her as much, but there's certain like emotional kinds of peril that she, that she won't, she won't watch because it's, you know, it keeps her up at night, that kind of thing, which is fine. It, you know, it's part of who she is because she's like one of the most, uh, empathetic, nicest people on the planet. And it's really good to know yourself and to know what affects you and what, what's going to keep you up at night. What's going to affect the way you think. Right. And there's no shame in saying, I don't think I can handle that kind of movie. Agreed. And, and saying, Agreed. I'm not going to watch it. Because yeah. that's good. That's a good choice. And and But I, I kind of lucked out because, you know, if there's any movie that I'm, like, wondering about, I don't have to kind of screen before I show it to my wife. Because she's like, I mean, you know, in the, I don't know. I'm, I, I like to think that I'm her protector, right? I, yeah. I'm obviously twice as big as she is because she's a very <laughs> tiny human. Um, and so it, you know, it's my job to protect her and that does just include physically, it includes emotionally too, but I know that I don't really have to worry when it comes to movies. And that is a lot of fun because it's almost like she's my best friend who watches movies with me because <laughs> everything I'll like, she'll probably like it or yeah. yeah, which is really, really cool. And that's, that's also uh, a good thing. I, when I took a film class at Corbin, we read a book that talked about what kind of content you'll allow yourself to consume and that some people draw their line too low and they won't consume content that has over a certain level of, of evil depicted in it, of violence, sure. of that sort of thing. And some people don't even watch R rated movies. Yeah. And, and that's okay. There's good reasons for sure. that. But sure. if you develop your, your taste for film in a healthy way and you yep. and you watch a movie like Schindler's List and you which I haven't seen by the way you take the good themes out of it it's it's good it's really good yeah it takes a really hard story to give you really really memorable redemption to give you the the heaviest lessons take the heaviest hits and and so I don't think it's wrong to 
take some good things from a Quentin Tarantino movie. Like yeah. when I watched uh, Django Unchained, um, that was something that was pretty educational as he's over the top, but there's just some over the top situations in history. So we won't go farther down this rabbit hole. Right, right. But, but that is to say the R rated movie has its place. Oftentimes, oftentimes it's unnecessarily R rated, but sure. But if, if you're wondering about watching this movie because it's R and you think that you want to go for it and you think that it's not going to affect you if you, if you take it in mindfully, then that's that's totally something that you can work toward. Yeah, there isn't much more to talk about for Memento. I guess there's, I mean, remember he's got that tattoo that says, remember Sammy Jenkins. Uh, there was no Sammy Jenkins. It is Lenny. Yeah. Lenny's the one who... Or at least the Sammy Jenkins that he remembers right. isn't real. There is, the way that he's destroyed as far as in reality right. is Teddy says... Sammy Jenkins didn't have a wife. Yeah. So that lets you know that a lot of what Lenny has been telling himself is fabricated. It's conditioned. It's it's to help him believe something that's more comfortable yeah. than the truth. So I guess I shouldn't say there is no Sammy Jenkins, but the Sammy Jenkins in his subjective reality, in Lenny's subjective reality, does not exist because that person is himself. The reality is that even though it's tattooed, John G. raped and murdered my wife, his wife wasn't murdered in that um, altercation accident. Wasn't murdered in that accident. She survived. I, I guess it wasn't an accident. It was an attack. Not um, not accident. I can't find the right word. Yeah. Um, what was the word we altercation used Altercation is good. Altercation. Or It's definitely not an accident, yeah. The break-in. Yeah. The incident. Incident. Anyway, the incident where he thinks that she died, she didn't die. She survived. Um, but from there, his wife, how he remembered her, was dead. He Because he can't remember anything else. Yeah. But the thing about this movie is I'm uncomfortable with that ending. Oh, yeah. I don't like that. And so part of me says it wasn't very clear. You know, <laughs> I... I yeah. think it said that, but I don't like that interpretation. So I do what Lenny does. And I right? I sort of overwrite that ending. And I think, no. You lie to yourself. Yeah. Because, because it makes you happier. Yeah. Like I, Teddy said. I, I want to rewrite that. And, yeah. And part of me just wants, it, I empathize with him so much that I don't want that to be true. Just the same as he doesn't. Yeah. Because the reality is, is his wife survived. And his he tells this story about Sammy Jenkins' wife and how she you know, was working with a doctor and the doctor says, you know, he should be able to make new memories based on, you know, maybe it's based on his subconscious or based, based on even just, um, survival instincts, instincts yeah. themselves. And so because she thinks that she basically, she's a diabetic, Lenny's wife, Sammy's wife, right. Is yeah. a diabetic. And so he's the one that, that gives her the shots every day. Well, basically his wife tries to make him remember by, saying it's time for my shot and then rewinds her watch and says it's time for my shot rewinds her watch says time yeah. for my shot where she goes into a coma with an insulin overdose and we don't know how much of that mm. directly applies right but it could be all of it it could be all of it in, she could be in a coma somewhere in some sense you it never we never know it could even be that scene where he replaces the shot with a pinch to right. try to overwrite that memory yeah 
it could have been that she was surprised by him administering a shot when he thought he was supposed to and she didn't say it. Like there's there's so much we don't know about that. Yeah. Because he won't allow himself to remember. Right. So there's more that we could know about it. There's one more flashback. I don't know if you caught. You may have. It's a flashback of Lenny's wife laying on his chest while he has all of the tattoos. Oh, yeah. And one of the tattoos that's right here, which is like where your heart is or above mm-hmm. your heart, where he's pointing in the picture. It says, I, I it says did it? I've done it. It says, I've done it. Like he's finished. Like he, he did it. Right? Yeah. What reality is that? See, I don't know if that one is reality. I don't know either. But if it was reality, then perhaps she survived the attack and then he kept... uh, No, that wouldn't work because his, his chest tattoo says uh, says the, that well, she died. Because there was something there. Wasn't there? Wasn't it another fact that he tattooed over it? No, it's it's blank the whole movie. It's blank. Even even when Teddy shows him the picture right. of him succeeding, he points to it. He points and, to it, yeah. and it's still empty. Right. He he's saying like I'm going to fill this spot. Right. But at well well yeah right. He's saying like this is where it's going to go. Where it's going to say I've yeah. done it. So that that's what makes me think he closes his eyes. And he's where he wants to be. And that's that his moment. reality that he wants. And and because he lapses, he is attempting to write a reality that he can exist in. But we do this. Like yeah. it's it's empathetic. It's easy it's easy to be empathetic because we do this. We buy products that we know like maybe it's not ethical. It's not ethically made. We do something that we know it has a consequence, but we'd rather not think about it. And that's part of the sure. power of his character is there's these little things that we choose to forget. Mm-hmm. And he's forcing us to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. I don't, I don't know which reality is which I don't know. Maybe his wife is still alive because the whole movie is like, Three days, three three days. Yeah, the whole sequence. Um, you've been talking a lot about noir and that kind of thing. One of the biggest noir things is like blinds or uh, close-ups or people talking on the phone is yeah. a big one, and that's the whole black and white sequence. And I'm pretty sure that black and white sequence, halfway through the movie, I was I remember I was watching this with my buddy Sam. Halfway through the movie, I was like, "Sam, who is he talking to on the phone?" Yeah, I've seen the movie already. I don't remember. I don't even really know. And it doesn't lock it into your no. brain, even on second viewing, because who was it? It, it doesn't need was it to Teddy? be. Yeah, it was Teddy. It must have been Teddy. Tells it to him as if it was someone else, but Teddy's on the phone with him, and every time he thinks, oh man, I shouldn't be on the phone. He slips him a note under the door that says answer the phone and it baits him into answering it again. And he tapes over the don't oh, answer the phone the, on his arm. Yeah, that must first... have been something he got on his arm after he wrote in Teddy as his new target. He must right. have said, don't answer the phone because that was because Teddy told him the story. He right. tells him that cop keeps calling you and then every time you stop answering, he slips a note under. Right. So he probably went straight there. Because Teddy keeps slammed saying on that the brakes cop and got that tattoo on his arm. But Teddy is that cop. Yeah. So that wouldn't happen to him anymore. Right. Yeah. 
man. It, yeah. So for like half of the, the sequences, he's like scratching at his most recent tattoo, which is, has a bandage over it. And finally he like is, is slowly ripping it off as he's still talking on the phone. And then he looks down and it says, never answer the yeah. phone in like kind of creepy looking, uh, font. And he's like, I have to go and just hangs up. And you're like, cause that, for you know that's, that's like, how you've been getting all your yeah, information that's like that's like 80 percent of of the black and white the objective things that are actually happening in reality sequences that are going forwards he's talking on the phone to someone and yeah. you're like oh this is useful information and then you find out he's been telling someone and he shouldn't have been telling a the whole time it's like oh my goodness there was several times i remember getting my go- wife i'm getting wasn't goosebumps now yeah. just thinking yeah my wife wasn't watching it with me but um, she was reading on the other couch um, and I would pause the movie and just throw my hands up in the air and go, <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No way. <laughs> and then I would have to stumble through some explanation of what's happening. So she basically watched the movie. Right. She right. didn't care if I spoiled it because she didn't want to see it. Yeah. But I, I basically rambled the entire sequence of events in reverse to her as she was like, Okay. yeah uh wow so good i do you have anything else you want to watch a movie that makes you ramble incoherently but Uh also teaches you a lot about yourself that you might not want to know if you are if you've already watched the movie and you've listened this far into the podcast and you're thinking boy i still don't know you're in good company because we're there (laughs) we have no idea we have no idea yeah, yeah. Decide for yourself what it means. It literally asks you to do that. <laughs> it's one of the movies that, that actually invites you to do that. That scene where it turns from black and white to color. Yeah. You know it's going to happen. Even on your first viewing, I feel like you know it's going to happen because he's not talking on the phone. He's moving. He's outside of the hotel room, which is also noir. Hotel rooms are always noir. Yeah, yeah. He's outside of the hotel room. He's walking around. You're like, okay. This might must be where they intersect because the, the camera angles are different and all this stuff. And then he's shaking a Polaroid. And then when he stops shaking it, everything's in color. Yeah, you just feel it. And you're like, oh. And you know what I mean? You're so focused on what's happening. Then you're like, oh, wait, it's in color now. Yeah, you, you know, yeah. it's hard to, to pinpoint the exact moment. Some of the biggest details that yeah. slip your mind. So good. So good. It's just, and it just feels like, it just seems like, uh, yeah, John, Jonathan and Christopher Nolan just kind of threw it together on a car ride. Yeah, it was an experiment. It yeah. was just a grand experiment. And it worked. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. As far as it's it's very classic Christopher Nolan and very in in the sense of it's on par for what he does and it's literally one of his classics. It's a initial film of his. Definitely. But a lot of people think it's his best. Yeah, I I would have to say it's very up there for me. Yeah. The Prestige is one of my favorite films of all time. And it's it's hard to rank them. It really is. But a lot of them are so different. Just for how simple and short and ambitious it is, I have to I have to put it pretty high. Yeah. It's He's made 10 films so far. I think so. And I I think it's definitely top 3 for me. Really? Yeah, I I think if you're if I'm looking at it from a per, pure like artistic standpoint, it's got to be number 1 or number 2. Hmm. But as far as like my I haven't even my seen favorite, it twice. I've seen it once. Right, it's... yeah. But as far as like my favorite goes, 
you know, it's probably more like five or six just because to me, the rewatchability of it because of how emotionally taxing this movie is because of how you're reliving him remembering that his wife was murdered mentally exhausting every scene. It's difficult. And yeah, it's definitely exhausting. I was really tired after watching it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And yeah, so I, yeah, it was very, it's, it's good and I love it. It's a great movie, but as far as movies that I will watch, like rewatchability of Nolan movies, Nolan movies aren't really that rewatchable. Oh, I would disagree. Well, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking like rewatchability, like, oh yeah, let's just throw it on or let's just, that, oh yeah, it's you definitely not a background. You can't movie. do that. No. You can, however, watch these movies once a year, forget certain things, and go, man, that movie's good. Yeah. This one's probably the least for me. I, I can't watch it as often as I can watch Inception or Interstellar. Yeah. I can watch Interstellar probably twice a year. Um, I could probably watch maybe Dunkirk. I couldn't. I couldn't watch almost almost as much as I couldn't watch as much as Memento. Memento. Yeah. Dunkirk and Memento are hard to watch. Part of me wanted to watch Memento again immediately. Really? To just restart the movie. (laughs) Now that I know, I want to watch it again. That's awesome. I didn't have time, but I I might have. But I can definitely see now that I've taken it in, and it's it's definitely an uncomfortable movie in a lot of senses of the word. Sure, sure. It's not one that... You just when you have some free time, I'll watch it again. It's a piece of art to behold, but it's not fun. Yeah, it's not a fun movie. I wouldn't call it fun. No, it's it's, it's exciting, exciting, and it's engaging, but not quite fun. It's definitely a thriller, very thrilling, very edge of your seat. But afterwards, you're not going, "Wow, that was a lot of fun." Yeah, but it's still fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great that's one. noir though. I mean, yeah. Man, he really pulled from noir in this movie. Yeah, really um, dark, really. And he he definitely stands on the shoulders of a lot of directors, but he goes places that that no one's figured out how to go yet. Yeah, so. definitely. I mean, I'm ready to grade this out, man. You ready? Yeah. Um, okay. First off, uh, it has an 8.4 on IMDb, 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, 94% audience score. Um, Brock. What's your what's you what's your grade? I I like to criticize things because I like to think that I know things, but there's a, very few things in this movie that I think I would have done differently, or I think I could have done better. Sure. So it gets an actual A from me. Nice. Uh, uh, I'm putting like, it at ninety five. Ninety five. Nice. I think. I think there's a couple things that I would ask out of this movie that are just even preference. Hmm. Um, but mostly I was impressed and I was I was in it for the whole thing. There wasn't a moment when I I had to stop and say, oh, that was a mistake. They should have done it this way. They could have done it better. Um, I, I do think the structure was so difficult that at times it became uncomfortably confusing sure and not in the way that he intended it although it was intended to be confusing yeah i think it was such a difficult idea to manifest that it took some hits as far as 
just the structure itself sure. is jarring. Sure. Um, but all in all, like that's a very small note. I, I, <laughs> as far as jarring structure, that would usually be like 15 points off. Yeah. But for this one, it was supposed to be jarring and I, I got to give it at least 95. It's very, nice. very well done for how difficult of a task it takes on. Yeah. Um, so I initially, after watching it again, I put 90 at an A minus, but after, even just after thinking about it, I rewrote it and put, <laughs> I put 95. Oh really? <laughs> I put 95 as an A. I put 90% or, or initially because, because of after watching it, after it sort of troubled me a little, just knowing, you know, just even just having to think about reality, having to think about reality and what is reality and am I, do I have a good subjective view of reality? Yeah, it's so challenging. It was Personally like, it challenging. was emotionally draining. I was just like, wow. And that, that's my, and that's my, that's my reason for it not being as, as rewatchable as some others. And um, so because of that, I put 90, but then just thinking about it and knowing that we were going to have this awesome conversation about it and was just like, man, this is so thought provoking. And I love thought provoking movies. I had to bump it up. And I was just also thinking about, you know, a 90% movie would be movies that I have problems with. I don't have problems with anything. There's nothing that I would have done differently. Obviously I'm not a filmmaker at all. And I'm not, anywhere close to as good of a filmmaker as Christopher Nolan. Um, you know, but there's some filmmakers where you see, watch a movie and as a completely objective viewer, you're like, well, I may, may have changed that. Maybe that actor wasn't so good. Yeah, or you this, can see you know. what they were trying to say and exactly. you can see that and it didn't come off the, right. The execution wasn't all there. Well, the execution is 100% here. This is probably... Uh, you know, I'm sure Nolan probably wanted to make it better than it was. I'm sure every every... Yeah. auteur every artist every creator sees the sees the flaws the i don't see them i don't see them though at all that's for sure and i just think that it's very very good so i would also i'm gonna give it 95 percent a <laughs> the only reason i'm not giving it 100 is just because of the rewatchability yeah it's um, like films it's, it's should be fun my favorite i think yeah like yeah. they don't have to be but because it, that's part of the other reason that i didn't give it 100 right because it's exhausting it's Right. It can't be everything. No movie can be everything. This movie was a lot of things. <laughs> yes, it was. Very much so. Yeah, great movie. Go see it if you haven't. If you're squeamish, this is one of those movies where if you're squeamish to blood and that kind of thing, you can probably just close your eyes for the two or three parts. Um, it's not a war movie, so you're fine. It's got quite a few F-bombs, but they're, it's not Quentin Tarantino. The F-bombs yeah. are pretty warranted, I'd say, as uh, normal human beings in the world. So, good movie. I, th I say go for it. No one's, no one's rocking. Can't wait to review Tenet. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for being here, Brock. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. <laughs> we can uh, usually talk for quite a while about movies. Oh, yeah. We actually oh, yeah. get to do it for a good reason. Disclaimer, Brock and I are six feet away. This has been recorded yes. during... COVID-19. I am so. using a fresh mic. I feel pretty honored. A fresh, honor, fresh, fresh mic. mic. No one's used it. Uh, no mouth has been as close as Brock's. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to get some disinfectant there, bro. This is my mic. My, my, my. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You might as well just take that home. <laughs> uh, anyways, thanks for tuning in to Flicks and Clicks. Uh, we'll catch you next time.
I thought maybe if we was having a roast chicken one night or something. 